Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Oh, hey, uh, don't worry about inviting me to your church this weekend. Really, because I've been thinking about it. I know we're friends and you go to church, but I also know whenever we start talking about Jesus, you get uncomfortable. At least that's the sense I get. I mean, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff, but whenever the subject of church or God comes up, you get, I don't know, tense. I've never really understood why. You know, it doesn't weird me out like it does you, but I'm happy to relieve you of something that obviously makes you feel awkward. Besides, what would I be missing? I mean, it's not like I'm an atheist. I'm not. You know, I believe in God. You know, I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing, but I'm spiritual. You know, and I want to do better. Maybe understand the Bible, have a better marriage, be a better parent. Maybe even do some volunteer work, you know, to help people. But the last time I went to church, that wasn't what was offered. Besides, we both know I'm not exactly a poster child for Christianity. I mean, I got some baggage. And I got questions. I mean, if Jesus was so great, why did he have to die such a gruesome death? You see, I just, I just don't think church is exactly the kind of place for someone like me. You know, I, I've just got these, I've got these issues. You know, and I don't want to have to dress up. And I don't want to be hit on for money. And I don't like organ music. You know, on top of all that, I really don't believe in hell. So I'm not worried about what happens to me after I die. You know, if there is an afterlife, I'm sure it'll turn out just fine. And as far as my kids go, I really just want to give them the freedom to choose whatever religion they want, if any religion at all. You know, church was boring for me as a kid. So the last thing I want to do is drag them to one every weekend. It turned me off to church, and I'm sure it would do the same for them. So it's probably better if they don't go at all. So don't worry about telling me about Jesus or inviting me to your church. It makes you feel awkward. It doesn't really have anything to offer my life. I mean, I can't exactly come as I am. I like wearing shorts. And hey, I give to charity. I listen to Coldplay. You know, really, hell is kind of a joke these days. And my kids won't like it, right? But, uh... But if I'm wrong about all this Jesus stuff, then for God's sakes, talk to me about it. At the very least, invite me to church. Miranda, if you would go ahead and bring up uh, that passage from Psalms. This is uh, a psalm by King David. Uh, Yeah, the one that killed the giant, for those of you. Um, David encourages us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And what I want to encourage all of us to consider doing uh, as we prepare our hearts for Easter is, first of all, taste. Taste and see personally that the Lord is good. Just sense that, experience that for yourself. Um, But I also want to encourage you to do that for families and friends where you live, work, and play. And here's what I would encourage you to do. I, I would encourage you to begin asking God now, who is it 
that right now needs to have kind of a taste test of the Lord. Needs to taste the goodness of God in their lives. Whose life is hurting and maybe struggling and broken. Who, who needs just to taste the goodness of the Lord? And I want to encourage you as the Lord reveals that person to you to invite them to join with you uh, as we celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And um, you may have to coerce them with a nice, you know, lunch afterwards. So be it. You know, do that. And uh, it, it will be afforded to you. I, I promise you. But I want to encourage you to do that. And I want us today <clears throat> to think in those terms. But before we, before we do that, I, I, wanna, I want us to do something together. Not for ourselves, but for some others. Um, some of you are aware of this, that uh, the pastor uh, of, of a church right down the street, uh, his name is Dusty Bradshaw. Dusty uh, left this planet and went to be in the arms of Jesus this week. Um, it was not something expected. He had not been uh, sick in a chronic way. He had been battling some things, an issue with a leg. He went in the hospital to have uh, the bottom part of one of his legs amputated. Uh, they thought the surgery would be, you know, something they've done before. But after his surgery uh, that night, uh, Dusty had a, a cardiac event and um, he, uh, he never recovered from it. And he went home to be with the Lord um, early Saturday morning. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray, first of all, for his wife, Julie, uh, and, and their kids and family. I want us to pray for Hillcrest Baptist Church. That's the place where uh, Dusty has pastored for years now. Um, those folks are hurting today. They're grieving the loss of a pastor, a friend, a, a brother. Uh, Julie's grieving the loss of her husband, her kids, a, a dad. And uh, so I, I just want to ask you to join me uh, as we go to the Lord uh, on their behalf and, and, and pray for them. And guys, we may be uh, called on to help. Uh, if you don't know where Hillcrest is, it's right down on Ashley Phosphate, just about two and a half miles from here. And so uh, the Lord may give us the opportunity to bless them somehow. And so just be praying about what that might look like uh, for you. So let, let's pray together uh, for our brothers and sisters there. Just, just pray silently. You go to the Lord in your own way and in a moment I'll close this in that. Father, I'm grateful to be able to stand in this moment, in this spot, knowing for certain that Dusty knew Jesus. Knowing for certain, God, that Dusty proclaimed what we just sang a moment ago about the name of Jesus, that there is nothing that can overcome that name, not even death. And so, God, I'm grateful to know that when my brother left this place, as your word tells us, he went immediately into your presence, that he did not taste death. It didn't touch him. So, Father, right now, those that I'm coming and bringing to you, that we're bringing to you, are, are not dusty, but his, his precious wife, Julie, their kids, their family, and Hillcrest Baptist Church, God, we just pray for them now.
God, we pray that you would bless them. We pray, God, as they seek your face, they find comfort in you. We pray, God, that they would find strength in you right now for the days ahead, the season of ministry ahead. We just ask, God, that your help to them would come. And God, if we could be that help, if we could be your arms, if we could be your hands, if we could lift and help them, God, please show us. We want to love on our brothers and sisters in their time of need. But God, we know that as much as we want to wrap our arms around them and love them and hug them, that what they need right now in this moment more than anything else is they need a holy hug from the God of all creation. We need, they need you, Jesus, to touch them. They need you, Holy Spirit, to comfort them. And so we're asking you to do that, please. And we're asking you to help us now as we seek to minister and care and love on them. Show us how to do that and do it well. Be with Julie, be with her kids, God. Lift them up, comfort them in their, their sorrow. Let them experience your great love, your great mercy, and your help coming to them even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now it's uh, part of what we want to step into um, is something that I, I know dusty delighted in and that's the gospel of Jesus and I, I, I may have led us inaccurately maybe improperly over the last couple of weeks I've made it sound like we're going to take these next six weeks and we're going to talk about the gospel like we don't talk about the gospel you know the other however many weeks that would be um, of the year here's the deal if, if we're not talking about the gospel of Jesus every time we meet, we, we really should just shut up, sit down, turn the lights off, sell the building. There, there's, no, there's, no, there's no other reason for us to get together. Because we don't, we don't have anything else. We don't. And if that's, if that's the core of our belief, that everything flows out of the gospel of Jesus, then it, it should be for us an experience and so when we read what the psalmist wrote, taste and see, you know, a, a have you ever tasted something so absolutely incredible and then tried to find words to explain to somebody? And, and you can't, and the only thing you want to do is say, you know, just open her mouth and throw it in, you know, so that they could have that joy that you have had because, man, it was just so dark chocolate with orange gel in the middle. Whoo! You know, just... It just slays me. There's no words to describe that flavor. That, that fl Well, the gospel's like that. And so the, the, the scripture tells us to, to taste it, it, it ex to experience it. And what we look at today, I, I hope will help us think to, to that end. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. Maybe pull your worksheet out if you want to kind of follow along uh, that way as well. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read the first eight verses and then the last two verses. And kind of walk out uh, what's in those. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He says this, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Then go down to the end of the chapter. Verse 28, he says, Him, speaking of Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, talking about Christ's energy, all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want us to kind of walk out what Paul has said here. And, and to do that, before we kind of go kind of verse by verse through some of this, I want to I refer you back to some writings, journal entries, to some what I'll call uh, fathers in our faith. Uh, these, these were some saints that lived long ago before us. Uh, in the 1700s actually. You'll recognize some of the names. They were, they were a group of men who had come together. They were part of the Anglican church. They were very faithful in their attendance. They were, they were very moral men. They were very religious. But they had started gathering in a small group in an apartment um, in London uh, in the mid-1700s. And they were, they were just... They were struggling with their faith. They didn't, they weren't, didn't find the power. They, it just, they just felt like it was kind of going through the motions and externals. But they would meet almost every night and they would read something and they would talk about their religion and they would sometimes pray for each other. Uh, two of the names that you'll probably recognize were uh, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, kind of founders in the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley is one of the greatest hymn writers uh, ever. And one of the things that all of the men in the group did was they kind of kept a journal uh, of their spiritual journey. Um, they they, they kind of walked that out. And in, in May of 1738, uh, Charles Wesley writes about an experience where he went to church. And he says he, he went to church um, and he came back and he wrote in his, his journal that day. And this is what he wrote. Received the sacrament. He's talking about communion or, or the Lord's Supper. Received the sacrament, but not Christ. I don't know him. I don't understand. I'm not connected with him. In other words, Charles Wesley is writing and saying, I'm just, I'm going through the motions. Now there was another gentleman that was part of the group, a guy by the name of William Holland. And then in that same month, he recorded something in his journal that happened uh, as a result of something that went on in their group. He had taken that night, somebody had given him a, a copy of Martin Luther's um, commentary on the book of Galatians. And he took that with him. And when they, were, when they gathered, he asked Charles, Charles, would you, would you mind reading kind of the introduction to this? They thought they could start maybe using this. And so um, Charles read it. And the, in his journal the next day, this is what Mr. Holland wrote. He wrote, when Mr. Wesley got to the words of Luther, what have we, nothing to do? No, nothing but accept him who God has made for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Holland wrote, he said this, at those words, I broke through Suddenly power came on me and I know who he, speaking of Jesus, I know who Jesus was. 
Now in his journal on the very same day, Wesley wrote these words. He says, Mr. Holland seemed to have found faith tonight, but I don't get it. Now, Wesley is saying, Holland got it, but, but I didn't. Now, I don't know if that helps you understand this, but it, it helps me. Because one of the things that happens often is somebody will come to a, a meeting like this and something will change in them. I mean, something will just dynamically shift in their soul. And then other people around them will go home and, and nothing happened. So it's, it's not like this is a too unusual experience, but it, it, it just kind of happens. Now, when you go and you read further into both John and Charles Wesley's um, journals, you will find that they both had uh, a later experience with the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel came on them and they described it as, I got it now. You know, that, that, that was the way they described it. But now, what is it that this great Christian, Charles was? How, how many of you have ever sung um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing at Christmas? Great, great. Charles Wesley. Th that's who wrote that. Okay? Uh, along with lots of other, one, one of the great hymn writers uh, ever. H how is it that these two men who were exposed to the gospel over and over again t take communion but say, I don't get it. And then this other guy, William Holland, got it and they still didn't get it. Well, it's because they had misunderstood, they had misappropriated all of the gospel. And, and Paul is talking about this as he's writing to the church at Colossae. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping we can pull from because for Paul, the gospel is everything about Christianity. It, it's, it's everything. Uh, it's, it, it, there's nothing else according to Paul. So in Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, he writes these words. He says, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And what Paul is saying, it's one thing to have heard the gospel. You need to have heard it. But it's something totally different when it comes to you. When the gospel comes into you. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about that you actually experience the gospel. It leaves a flavor. It leaves, it leaves a taste in you. And so as Paul writes these. And, and he talks of his experience. As well as what we see from some historical figures. The, the big question that kind of comes up for me is. So how do you know? How do you know that the gospel has come to you, has come into you, has come upon you, that it's not just something you've read or something that you've heard? How do you know that you've got more of it than that? How do you know that, you know, time after time you may have received the Lord's Supper and it was just stuff? It had no, no, no power to it. How, how do you know? Well, here's what I want to do today. And, and I want to do it for your sake, but I also want to do it for your sake so you can help others understand this. I want to give you four taste tests of the gospel. Four, four flavors that the gospel should kind of flow out in your life. So I want us to think about that. Kind of, kind of taste and see the, the beauty of the gospel. Taste test number one is this. Can you, have you tasted the joy of the gospel? Have you tasted the joy that the gospel brings? And you, you may say, now Joe, I, I, I read, you know, Colossians with you. I don't see this, this word joy. But look back at, at verses 4 and 5. It says, since we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Now some of you are saying, I still don't see the word joy. 
Okay, you say, I see the faith, baby. I see the love. I see the hope. Where's joy? Well, it's in the word gospel. Do you remember what the definition of gospel is? It's a joy-filled proclamation. It's a joy-filled message. It's, it, it, if, it's not just news. It is, it's news that is filled, filled with joy. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want us to think about how do we practically apply. Once we, once we understand the taste, once we understand the flavor, how do we apply that to just kind of daily life? And it doesn't matter really at this juncture whether you're a Christian or, or, or not yet a, a believer. And I don't want you to raise your hand. But I, I want to all of us to ask this question about something that will help us think about the gospel. When you think about Christianity... Is one of your primary thoughts, it's kind of hard. Following this Christian, it's primarily a, a difficult task. That's what Christianity, it's a hard thing to do. You know, if, if one of the things that's going on in our world today that just kind of blows my mind is how both sides of the political aisle try to co-opt the gospel. There, there, there's one group that, you know, that are, are, are looking for ways to kind of co-opt the gospel. They're, they're both saying we need kind of spiritual renewal in our nation. And some are kind of co-opting the gospel, and I think inappropriately so, saying that we, you know, it's all about we need the common good, and they have this vision of economic equality for everybody, and they're, they're thinking we, we, we need to be more spiritual so that can happen. And then there's the, what, what some might call the more conservative side. And they're, they're thinking, yeah, we need, we need to be more spiritual. But it's so that we can rein in all, all this stuff, this moral decay. We need to get... Here's the question. Are either one of those the real heart and soul of Christianity? Is that what our faith is all about? Reining this stuff in. You know? Now, I'll be the first one to stand up and shout, our nation needs spiritual renewal. We We do. We, 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 we desperately do. But that's not what's going to bring it. The only thing that's going to bring it is getting at the heart and soul of the gospel. Let, let, me, let me push this just a little closer maybe to your own heart and home. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't answer this. But have you ever had in your, in your church going experience, have you ever had a season when maybe you thought, if I could just get out from under the church, I could be free. If I could just get out from under the trappings of the Christian religion, I, I could finally be free. Well, if you find yourself there today, or if you have found yourself there in a season before, if one comes, I want to say this to you real clearly. I want to do it as pastorally and gently as I possibly can. But truthfully, if you find yourself there, then you don't get the gospel. You have missed a huge part of the gospel. You know, if, if you're carrying that around, then you're, you're, not, you're not correct about the essence of, of Christianity because anyone who has ever had the gospel come unto them knows that it's joy. It, it's, the response is always joy because the gospel is joy. It, it is just a great joy. That's what the gospel is. Now, how, how do we kind of get that? How, how has it sunk in for you? Why was it that Mr. Holland got it and Charles Wesley didn't? What, what, was, what was the difference? Both of them had religion. You know, both of them kind of seemed to be seeking. But what was the joy? Well, the, the, the joy of the gospel hadn't sunk in to Charles yet. 
Because here's the difference. Now let me say this too. On this joy issue, you can't compare your joy to somebody else's joy. Everybody experiences joy differently. Some people's joy makes them raise their hand and tap their feet and shout and dance. And some people's joy makes them just bow and give great thanks. So you can't, you can't get in a, a, a joy comparison game because it's going to get expressed differently. But there will always be joy. The gospel always brings joy. Look, look at what verse 6 says. It says, the gospel which has come to you and indeed to the whole world is bearing fruit. It's increasing as it's done among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. What, what that's saying is it's increasing. It's growing. It's, it's bearing fruit. One of the things that Paul writes here is that you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth. Which means the, the, uh, the gospel is truth. There are what we'll call a, a set of coherent propositions. Some, some facts about the gospel. Truths that you and I must believe if the gospel is going to come into us. Other things that we're going to be opposed to because we believe the truth of the gospel. It's not, it's not just vague. It's not just mystical. It's not just a feeling. But there are some tests to how you're experiencing the truth of the gospel. And so the second test is this. Second taste test. There, there, there's, there's a joy, but then there's the second taste test is as have you tasted the fruit? Are you experiencing the fruit of the gospel in your life? Now, this, this means... As we know, it, it brings change. When you think about another place maybe that Paul wrote about the fruit of the gospel, what, what comes to mind? Fruit of Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes to us and he tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those, those are the fruits of the Spirit. So let me ask you this right now. Are any of you battling maybe distress in your life? Something that you're just stressing over? Is there some place in your heart and soul where there's just great discomfort? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you are angry with somebody. You're, you're just, you're seething angry at somebody. Well, here's, here's what I want to say about that. If, you are, if you're angry with somebody and you can't release that, then the fruit that's missing from your life is love for that person. If you're, if you're experiencing discouragement, waves of discouragement right now in your life, then what's missing is the fruit of the gospel that we know is joy. If you're, if you're struggling with anxiety, you're constantly anxious about issues in life, fear-driven kind of experience, then, then what's happening is you're missing the fruit of, of peace in your life. This fruit that's growing, you know, is not growing maybe in you. And Paul talks about this. It affects your character. He says, when the gospel comes, it is a source that flows into all of those, which means this. It means that the gospel is a power. The gospel is a power that gets released in your life. That fruit is, is actually a power. It means change can come. Now, again, let, let me apply this, you know. So, some, some of you may say, well, I've heard that. I've heard that the gospel is joy and the gospel is power, you know. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. Or maybe you're here today and you're kind of skeptical. I, I want you to kind of think with me for a moment just about some, some, some real life struggles that people have. 
How many of you knew that this weekend um, in Charleston was Fashion Week? Anybody know that? Do you know what happened? They did not invite me onto a runway. I don't get it. I mean, come on. Is this style or what? You know, they, they, they didn't. Now, every year, you know, when, the, when this happens, I'm reminded of something that I read years ago. And, and they model, they kind of model Fashion Week here after, you know, the big Fashion Week in New York. Um, and, and I remember reading about the Fashion Week in New York something years ago, and I, I kept it because it, it just, it, it spoke to me. And this is, this is something that uh, a gentleman who, he wrote for New York Magazine, he was a fashion editor for New York Magazine at the time, and he's gone on to be, you know, really well-known in the fashion industry, but he, he wrote this about Fashion Week in New York one time. He, he, he wrote this. He said, of course, Fashion Week is the designated period of ritualized yearning wherein a bunch of expensively overdressed editorial assistants jockey for visibility while hoping that nearness to a runway will purge them and their readers of that nagging feeling of soullessness. I read that and I went, oh my word. Th th these are people that outwardly glamour and glitz and photo ops and it looks like everything's going on. I was just, I was struck by his word, this nagging feeling of soullessness. Here's what I think he's talking about there. I think he's talking about, and I think all of us have had this experience, there are moments and seasons in our lives where what's going on on the outside is greater than what's going on on the inside. There are moments and times when your life looks really pretty, and, and folks, social media has really messed us up on this one. Our lives look, can, can look really shiny, beautiful, got it going on kind of thing, and on the inside we're dying. We're fading away. We're, it's not that. We're much greater on the outside than we are on the inside. And what Paul is painting here about the gospel is the gospel brings the exact opposite. The gospel doesn't lead to soullessness. It leads to soul-filledness, soul-fullness. That's what Paul is saying the gospel is about. If you read anything about, about Paul's life, you, you know that Paul, man, the dude rocked courage like nobody else rocked courage. I mean, this guy was a courageous guy. He loved, he loved people that hated him. He loved people that beat him. He loved people that put him in prison. He loved. He had an ability to influence in nations and kings. Where did he get that from? Well, Paul will tell you it's just from the gospel. That only flows out of the power of the gospel. That's, that's what Paul tells you everything comes from. And so Paul was able to write. And we read this a moment ago in, in, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 29. Paul says, to this end I also labor. Well, what was his end? The end for Paul was telling people about the gospel. The end for Paul was teaching them. The end for Paul was that this power of the gospel would get released into their life that had come into his life and transformed them. Colossians 1.29, he writes, To this end I also labor, striving according to his, talking about Jesus, to his working which works in me mightily. What Paul is saying is, in my life what's going on the inside is much prettier than what's going on the outside. It's much greater than what's going on the outside. And so Paul, you know, he, he, he said it's the exact opposite. He said, I don't have nagging feelings of soullessness. My soul is filled. My outsides are greater. I mean, my insides are greater than my outsides. 
That's, that's what's going on in me. He said, you know, I know I'm not much to look at. Paul writes about that. He, he knows that. Paul writes about being, you know, chief among sinners. He, he understands who he is. He knows he doesn't get invited to all the parties and all those things. But you know what Paul says? So, my insides are greater than my outsides. And I'm cool with that. That's soulfulness. That, that's greatness. Paul says, my life is churning on the inside. That's why in verse 28 he says, him we proclaim. Uh, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone in Christ. Mature. Now, if you work with people regularly, one of the things that you will know, let's say you go in at 8 a.m. and your life is really uh, touch, you know, touching lives and rubbing up against people. You, you may be like a teacher or something like that. You know, you go in at 8 o'clock and start your work. By about 10.30, you're done. You know, if, if your life is wrapped around people, you, you can get exhausted. And one of the things that can happen is, one of two things happen when you work with people. You will find yourself e either detaching from them. You know, you may be still engaged. You, you, they may be talking. You may be going, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I got, yeah, I'm with, yeah, yeah. But you're not there. You can either detach or you can engage. And when you engage with somebody, what you do is you, you join your heart to them. You get deeply involved with what's going on. And it, it, it can wipe you out. N nobody greater at this than Jesus. Do you remember, um, I think Mark, Mark 5 records this. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus was doing some ministry. And he was, he was among crowds one day. And as he was ministering, a woman that the Bible says had, uh, had a blood issue for about 12 years. I think it's 12 years. About 12 years touched Jesus' garment. And Jesus stopped and went, who touched me? You know, and the disciples said, dude, there's hundreds of people bumping into you. No, he said, who touched me? And, and why did he say that? Well, the scripture says because Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. When, when, you, when you get up against people and your life rubs up against theirs and you're in their life and their life is in yours, one of the things that happens is power gets drained out of you. Power, power will come out of you. And what Paul is saying is the way that I recharge, the only thing that gives me the strength that I need, the power that I need to face these people that I'm facing, that I'm trying to tell the gospel to, that I'm wanting to see life, the only, the only place that comes from is from the gospel. That's the only place it comes from. It's the only place that I can actually have soulfulness in, in, in a world where there's so much soullessness. And, and Michael Musto recognized it. Recognized, boy, you can look great on the outside, but on the inside there are these nagging feelings of soullessness. And if you are feeling, living in a soullessness kind of state, the only thing that will change that is the gospel. But you've got to let it apply to your life. Look back at verse 6 with me. It says, the gospel which has come to you, it's bearing fruit. It's increasing uh, in the whole world as it also does among you. Now here's what, here's what happens in the average Christian's life. The average Christian believes this. The gospel saves me. I, I get to heaven through the gospel. I get to come into the kingdom of Jesus through the gospel. And then what I've got to do is I've got to grab this book and I've got to study it. I've got to memorize it. I've got to read it. I've got to apply it. I've got to beat my head in with it. And it's going to be hard but that's how I'm going to live out the gospel. That's why so many Christ followers live in brokenness. 
That's why so many live in powerlessness. See, here's the deal, friends. The same gospel that saves you advances you. It's the, it's the same, the, you got to go back to that, that first path. You got to go back to that because the fruit of the gospel is the power. It's the only power to live differently. So if you showed up here today and you're anxious, anxiety is filling you, then you're missing the peace of the gospel. You've got to apply the gospel. If, 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 and, and here's what's happening. There's something that you're not believing about your relationship with God. If you're filled with anxiety, you're missing something there. If you're, if you're filled with anger, if you're filled with discouragement, in other words, no matter what your hurt or your habit or your hang up happens to be, the gospel applied to it properly will address that. It will give your soul something to be filled with because the gospel continues to bear fruit. It doesn't come to you and there's no more fruit. It continues to bear fruit. So if you're a Christ follower here today and you're struggling there, what you've got to ask yourself is, am I one of those people who believe that, well, the gospel saved me, but now I've got to figure it out. Because if you are, then you've missed it. You've got to go back. You've got to go back to that starting place. You've got to look carefully at that because the gospel wants to move you forward. The, the, the song that Cherry led us to sing a moment ago, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. You know when that normally used to get sung? It was an invitation hymn. At the end of Baptist church, you know, and we would sing it 47,000 times until one of you got down here, you know. That song is as much about how to live your life every day as it is about you meeting Jesus for the first time. We got to turn our eyes towards Jesus. We got to turn our eyes towards everything in the world turns our eyes away. We got to turn our eyes towards Jesus. That's where the power comes from. There is joy in the gospel. There is power in the gospel. It is a joy. It is a power. Third thing is it's a grace. It's can you have you tasted the grace of the gospel? Have you tasted it? You need to be able to taste the grace of the gospel. In verse 6, and I'm, I'm going to jump to the NIV translation because I, I like the way it translates this verse better. It says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Now here's the deal. The, the grace is a synonym for gospel. It's, it's the grace of God. Back, back in verse 5 it said the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word, the truth, the gospel. See, the gospel informs us that we have something, if, we, if the gospel's come to us and in us, the gospel lets us know that something is already in heaven that's ours. When Dusty, when Pastor Dusty stepped out of this life into that life, it wasn't that he got a reward for getting there. His reward was already there. You know, sometimes you run a race and you can run a race and they, at the end of the race, they give you your medallion or your award or, you know, the cash prize if you were ever fast enough to get the cash prize from, from a race like that. Um, but they give you this, your reward is already there. The, the Bible says that it's being kept safe for you. That, that it's, it's already there, that it's kept in heaven, that it's stored in heaven is what we just read. It, it is already there for you. It's money in the bank. 
you got to understand that, that your life change, your future, all of that the gospel points to is, is yours already. Paul is showing that part of the reason we don't have power is because we don't live that way. We don't live as if, if we know the end of the game. And see, verse 6 points this out. It says, this gospel, you heard it and you understood God's grace in all its truth. Again, one of the primary reasons Christians live such defeated lives is they try to create a power. They, they try to make power happen instead of understanding God's grace in all its truth. That word all there really shows us that when Paul thinks about the gospel, Paul sees it as a bottomless well. There, it, there's this bottomless well that is filled with the fruit of the gospel, filled with this opportunity for us to grow. It's infinitely rich. It's incredibly immense. And that there are so many ways that all of us, me included, you included, we all need to learn new ways to dive down deep in that well of the gospel to get what we need to live today. We may have to go further down, but it's not something new. It, Paul says it's the fruit of the gospel and that we can only grow in that. We've got to understand the ramifications because the gospel is grace. And the fruit comes when I understand. Did you see that? Understand the truth of the gospel. And here's what that looks like. How many of you ever in frustration with your computer reboot it? Control, alt, delete, control, alt, delete. Man. You know, sometimes you get, you have to unplug that sucker to get it go down. You know, but you have to reboot it because there's something that's clogged up. There's something that's misfired and it just, it, it won't, it won't go forward. So you have to reboot your computer. Here's what has to happen in your life every day as a believer. Sometimes multiple times. Your life needs to be rebooted in the gospel. Anxiety comes, reboot. Depression comes, reboot. Struggle comes, reboot. Anger comes, reboot. I've got to reboot in the gospel so the fruit can come. I've got, to, I've got to do this. I've got to dive down deeper into the gospel and let it reboot in my soul. Let me see if I can give you a, a, another illustration. Since it's March Madness, we'll use basketball. Which my wife is really mad at right now because it messes her programming up on TV. You know, she doesn't like March Madness. Um, and I'm a little put out too because I really was pulling for Wofford. I'm really ticked with Kentucky right now, just so you know. I'm applying the gospel to my anger towards Kentucky. But, but here's what I want to do. I just want to create an imaginary scenario for you. Let's say that there's a college team that they start off the season. And uh, they start off the season and it's predicted they're going to finish at the bottom of their division. They're going to be last place. And they win their first game. And they win their second game. And everybody looks and says, there's really no individual talent standout there. They win their third game and their fourth game and their fifth. And, and people start saying, what's going on? And they start looking and they keep winning and they keep winning. Not only do they win their division, they end up going to the big dance. Okay? There's another team that was anticipated to not only win their division, they went through most of the season ranked number one in the nation for college basketball. They both end up at the final game. They both end up there, okay? How are they going to come? What is their experience going to be when they put their feet on the floor in that arena? How, how is their experience going to be different? Well, here's what I think. 
I think the Cinderella team, I think their experience is going to be something like this. This is just gravy. Win, lose, draw. We did what everybody said we couldn't do. Our coach was named Coach of the Year. The, the little town that our school, we're, we're heroes back home. People, we walk down the street, people clap. You know, they buy us meal. It's just incredible. Our, we're set historically now in the, in the annals of our school. No matter what happens in this game. So how do you think they're going to come into the game? They're going to come filled with joy, man. It's going to, they're going to have fun. It's going to be a great experience for them. What about the other team? The other team realizes they're facing this Cinderella team that there's some kind of power here going on that we don't understand. We were picked at the beginning of the season. If we, if we lose to this, they have no talent. Everybody knows that. So they come into the game filled with fear. They're, they're anxious. They're, they're struggling. And see, the difference is this one team knows it's in the bank, man. No matter what happens today, it's in the bank. Ours is secure. Friends, if you want the gospel to, to affect, is there, is there value going to be determined by the, the, the conclusion? There, there's a Cinderella team, but the other team is. Their value, their net worth. Friends, that's what the gospel does in the life of a believer. It, it, it's so when you, when, you come to, when you come to a job interview, you're not all eat up and anxious and those kinds of things. When, you, when, you know, when, when you're coming to you know, a test, or an you're, you're not eaten up with fear over those things because you know that your security is not in what you're about to experience. The story's already been written. It's in the bank in heaven. Your sanctification, your glorification, they're all up there waiting on you. This is the basis of the gospel. All of that is already stored in heaven. And so when you reboot during the day, that's what you reboot on. You don't think about this issue. You think about the gospel. You think about your future. You know, if you're here today and you're hearing this and you're saying, look, Heard all this before. You know, okay, this was a nice appetizer. When are we going to get to the meat? You know, everybody wants the meat. There's nothing meatier than the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing greater than the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension. There, there, there's nothing greater than that. Nothing greater. Which proves if that's where you're at, you have not gotten nowhere near the bottom of the well of gospel. There's so much more still there. Are you tasting the great grace of God? Are you experiencing the power? Do you live out of joy? And the last one is this. Can you taste the Lord? The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, Paul started out most of the, uh, the chapter in Colossians chapter 1 he talked about having heard the gospel and he talked about bringing the gospel and he talked about teaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel you know what happens when he gets to the end of the chapter in verse 28 he says this him we proclaim he's no longer talking about proclaiming just the he's talking about Jesus he's just saying 
I'm, I'm really proclaiming Jesus, folks. That, that, that's what I'm talking about. See, here, here's the reason the gospel's a power. This is the reason the gospel's a joy. This, this is the reason that, that there's grace in all of this is because Jesus, Jesus is the gospel and the gospel is Jesus. It, it's, it's all, the gospel is not about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. It's, 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 it's all Jesus. You know, th that's why William Holland got it that night when Charles didn't yet. He didn't understand it was all about Jesus. He thought he had to do something else. You know, one of the things that's beautiful about Jesus, lots of other religions will tell you this, you know, go this way. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I'm the way. Follow me. Uh, other religions will say, here's the truth. Follow it. What does Jesus say? I'm the truth. Fo follow me. Uh, other, other religions will, will say, here's how you become a righteous person. What does Jesus say? I am your righteousness. There, there's, there's not something else out there. Now, if when you read Paul's letters to the church at Colossae or Ephesus or Thessalonica or to, to, to the Romans, any of that, it always works the same way. Paul, Paul will, in his letters, he'll be writing about an issue that he encountered when he was with somebody in one of those places. And they'll always be trying to say it's Jesus, you know, Jesus but. So, so somebody he'll, he'll be dealing with and somebody will say, yeah, it's Jesus but I need to add, you know, circumcision. Or it's Jesus, yeah, but you need to do these things to be righteous. Or it's Jesus but. Here's what Paul would look at you and say. Excuse the vernacular here. You got to get your butt out of there. It is not about Jesus but something. It's not Jesus and anything else. The gospel is just simply Jesus. It's, it's just, it's all about Jesus. That's why the gospel is the only thing that can address your anger. It's in the person of Jesus. The only thing that can address your anxiety is, is, is Jesus. The gospel is all of this and this alone. And when you, when you finally get to that, that's when the fruit, when you're rebooting on nothing but the gospel, that's when the fruit, that's when you'll start experiencing the churning inside that will make you greater than on the outside because the gospel will be to you joy. And the gospel will be to you a power. And, and, and the gospel will be to you the explosion of God's grace in your life because the gospel is the person of Jesus. And that's why when Paul started the letter, back in, in verse 2, he writes these words. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Because Paul knew that everything that he was about to say is only going to be realized as you and I are in Christ. As we allow ourselves to sit there. Now... It's why for some, so many Christians we don't understand the gospel that Peter wrote about. Peter wrote these words. Uh, uh, you, you've heard me say them lots. You're probably tired of it. Get over it. You're going to hear it some more. Because it just blows me away when, when my mind gets wrapped into this. Peter writes about the gospel. He says even the angels would like to understand it. The angels who have been observing the work of God for eons... Look at the beauty of the gospel and they know there's, it's bottomless. They know there's nothing greater. There's nothing meatier. There's no other word that you're going to get. It's all about the gospel. So here's the question. Have you tasted it?
Have you found it good? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We come to you seeking only the beauty of the gospel in Jesus. We come believing that Jesus is the gospel, that Jesus is the good news, that Jesus is our power, that Jesus is our joy, that Jesus is the expression of all of your grace, God, to us. We come. We come just to sit under the name of Jesus. We come believing that, that in Jesus that there's, there's no rival. There's nothing greater than Jesus, so we come. We come bringing Jesus into our, our struggles, into our hurts where people have wounded us, into our loss. We come bringing Jesus into our anxious moments. We come bringing Jesus into our discouragement. We come bringing Jesus into our sorrow. We come to Jesus. And we choose this day, once again, God, to reboot our minds when these other things in this world seep in to bring us to a point of soullessness. God, we push back with the gospel of Jesus. Knowing that there's fruit that's going to come. Knowing, God, that there's joy, that there's hope, that there's love, that there's peace in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and for the first time, like with Mr. Holland the gospel went off in you and something has changed now and you have hope where you had despair you see something different maybe you just want to acknowledge that it's Jesus that that's what all of this is about it's about Jesus and you just want to follow him we want to help you do that the Bible says if you just call on the name of Jesus with a repentant heart, you can be saved. And the gospel comes and begins to wash over you and that power gets released in you. And maybe you're here and you've been a, one who that happened to, but you went back and started adding all those buts. And today in this moment, you just need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I realize it's just you. It's just you. And I come back to you. And so we just come in these moments, Jesus, we come back and saying that there's nothing more beautiful Nothing more gorgeous, nothing more spectacular than you and your name. And so we come now to worship you. We come now to give our hearts to you. We come now to, to bring our tie, your tithes and our offerings to you because we want the name and the fame of Jesus to go out to every end of the world. So we come to worship. We come to give. We come to, to praise your name. And we come, God, wanting to taste the fullness of of the gospel in Christ alone. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.